0: Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4. And they journeyed, the children of Israel journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. It was a long ways. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. You don't find yourself in a dangerous spot. You start talking bad about the Lord and talking bad about his anointing. Wherefore, have you brought, up us, uh, brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They forsook the promises of God, didn't they? Weren't they, weren't they given the promises of God way back in, in, in Exodus chapter 3 and again in chapters 5 and 6, they were told the promises of God. And again in chapter 12, they were reminded, when you come into that land that I swore unto your fathers and your children ask you, what are you doing? You tell them how I brought you out. But here they are speaking against God speaking against Moses forgetting the promises of God there is no bread neither is there any water and our soul loathes that it's like bread they they're so busy looking at your circumstances that they start loathing they start despising the things that God has provided for them and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Thank God for repentance. Pray unto the Lord that he may, that he take away the serpents from us, and Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh there on it, that looketh upon it, shall live. And made, Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he had beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. What an amazing, beautiful picture of salvation. Every person from Adam, every person by birth, save Jesus Christ himself, who is God in the flesh. Every single person has spoken out against God. Every single person is bitten of sin. Every single person deserves to die. In John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, Jesus Christ himself mentions this serpent as a beautiful illustration of salvation that can only be, be had In the person of Jesus Christ, in John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Talk about life and death. Bitten by sin. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time, into his mother's womb and be born? Some people try to say that verse 5 is speaking of water baptism. It is not. Speaking about natural childbirth. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus understood the first birth as natural birth because he alluded to the, the second birth being like unto the first. Jesus says the second birth is not like unto the first. It's different. The, the water is the first. The, the spirit is the new birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So talking about born of flesh, born of spirit, Jesus Christ said that. Clarifies it plainly. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Talk about the new birth. Back in Numbers chapter 21, I don't know if you caught it, there were many people that died even before there was a mention of a brazen serpent. Well, who decided that? God did in his wonderful providence. Purpose. Who would be reprobate well they didn't even have a choice no they didn't and neither does anyone else they didn't even have an opportunity well they had as much as god gave them that's god's business what about those that have not that even didn't even hear what 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 about them again god's business nicodemus answered and said unto him how can these things be jesus answered and said unto him art thou a teacher of israel and knowest not these things Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen. And ye receive, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So he's talking about believing, the new birth, understanding spiritually, faith. And no man ascendeth up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as, not like, not like, as. There's two different words, right? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what happened in the wilderness? Everyone was bit, and everyone that was bit looked at the pole, and they lived. Why would they look? They must have believed it would have helped them. They must have known they would have died otherwise they had nowhere else to look. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must of a necessity, the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth of those that are bit by sin, that whosoever believeth in him, that look to him and him alone, knowing they will die otherwise, and rightfully so, for they have murmured against God whosoever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Wow. That image, that picture of that brazen serpent. Jesus Christ calls upon it himself. Speak, speaking of himself, what, what a beautiful picture, illustration of salvation. How beautiful. Turn, if you would, please to our text in 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. And verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshia, Asha, Joshua, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Hezekiah was a good king. and You you read through the Kings and the Chronicles, when you come across a king that served the Lord and looked after the Lord, what a refreshment. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. And he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Israel, nor any that did before or before him, for he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. I'm gonna pause right there in our text in Second Kings chapter 18. The title of this message is Nehushtan. Nehushtan, you see that word ending in verse four. Nehushtan, that word literally means a bronze thing or a thing of brass. Okay, thing of brass. Brass. What is that? What's that? When you think of brass in the Bible, what is that a symbol of? Judgment. Right. Judgment. Yeah. You see, as we read in the in the introduction, that that brazen serpent was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of salvation. Jesus Christ, in John chapter three, declares how beautiful of a picture it is of salvation—just a pure picture of those deserving to die looking unto Christ would live. Beautiful picture of salvation. It's also a terrible example of idolatry. What do you mean? What's idolatry? It's a false representation of deity. Okay. Look back in verse 4 and catch some of the, the, the words that are said here. He, Hezekiah, removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made, for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan The children of Israel, they had clustered all these, uh, the, the, all these pagan things and all these, all these idols. They, they had clustered all these abominable things, and they had put it right next to, in their worship system, this nehushtan, this brazen serpent. And rather than being reminded of how that they had sinned and murmured against God, they were worshiping the the idol itself. They were worshiping the thing itself, making it an idol. They had clustered this this beautiful picture of salvation, uh, of of, 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 um, of deliverance with the high places. It says there in verse 4, the high places were places of, of pagan ritual. They're pagan ritual centers is what they were. You can go through the Old Testament. Especially if you want to go through the book of Numbers and if you want to just just search out there how how often the children of Israel were want to go to the to the high places, these pagan ritual centers, these cursed things, and they held those things just as closely to their hearts as they did this brazen serpent. That can happen, and we're going to get into that. That can happen to the Lord's people. We can we can so if you just slightly take your eyes off of christ into something that's supposed to be pointing to him and again this brazen serpent pointed directly to him he said it as as they lifted up that serpent if you take your eyes slightly off you now have an idol they had put this thing with their images, these idols that were set up for all these other gods, these practices of the heathen. They had set it right next down to and coupled it with the groves. Those wood, wooded areas set up for, for worship, but involved all manner of carnality. Just You could just about let your mind run wild and you know it's worse than that. They had had done all those things, but they clustered it. But because they had something that they felt was godly, and truly in its origin it was. But did God ever tell them to burn incense to it? The answer is no. Did God ever tell them to fall down to it? The answer is no. There's an old movie, this man. He's trying to to explain something to someone and they're not getting it. And he smacks him in the head and says, you're looking at the finger that's pointing to the moon. Right? If I'm pointing to something, don't look at my hand. Look at what I'm pointing to. This serpent pointed to salvation in trust in the Lord and the depravity of man before God. They were looking at the finger pointing to the moon. And that's exactly what what it was when they began to worship this thing. What would have been, I guess, in the nation of Israel, what could have been, what could have been the easiest thing to worship in all the nation of Israel besides God? We could, we could say either the tabernacle, the priesthood, or the temple, right? Look at what Solomon himself said in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And we're we're building foundation here, okay? Because there truly is some some provoking application to this. Second Chronicles chapter six and verse twelve. And he Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high and had set it in the midst. Of the court, and upon the upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel, and spread forth his hands toward heaven. Now, before we go forward, if you do a personal study, if you were to do a personal study on the temple, it's it's an unbelievable structure, beautiful, gold, just beautiful, just beautiful structure. And said, verse fourteen, O Lord God of Israel, there is no god like thee in heaven nor in earth, in the earth which keepeth covenant and showeth mercy unto thy heaven, thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. Thou which hast kept with thy servant David my father that which thou hast promised him and spakest with thy mouth and hast fulfilled it with thine hand, it is th- as it is this day. Now therefore, O Lord. "'God of Israel, keep with thy servant David my father "'that which thou had promised him, saying, "'There shall not fail thee a man in my sight "'to sit upon the throne of Israel, "'yet so that thy children take heed to their way "'to walk in my law as thou hast walked walked before me. "'Now then, O Lord God of Israel, "'let thy word be verified "'which thou hast spoken unto thy servant David.' But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. Yes, this thing, we built it like you told us to, but you're so much greater, you're so much better. They didn't burn incense unto the temple. They didn't worship the temple. Have respect therefore to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee. Let thine eyes be open uh, this uh, that thy eyes may be open upon this house day and night, and upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth before this place toward this place. Hearken, therefore, unto thy supplication, unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which thou shalt make toward this place, and thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven. He knew that that temple wasn't God. He knew that that was just a representation and a place that God would hear. He, he would hear them, but that temple was not God, nor did they worship it. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. You see, the temptation to worship those things that even God himself has set in order is Ever before the children of God, we're not, we're not talking about the heathen here. We're talking about the children of God. Even through the te- through the temple, Solomon knew who God was and where God was. There was no place like that place. He, when, when, when the temple was destroyed and they went off in captivity and they came back and they rebuilt the temple, those that didn't see the temple before and saw this new one, all, oh, they were so happy. But the ones that had seen the former temple, they wept. Yeah. There was no place like that original temple. But that temple was not God. That's right. It was not to be worshipped. God was. That brazen serpent, Nehushtan. That brass thing was not to be worshipped. God was. Jesus Christ said that, right? Just as back then that happened, Jesus Christ lifting up for the salvation of souls, eternal life. Christ is to be admired, not the cross he hung on. It's a sobering warning for God's people, isn't it? How, how How easily can we take the things that God has given us and make them a thing of worship of themselves? Do we have any brazen serpents? That's a question that has to be asked. Do we have any brazen serpents? Things that we love. Do we love them loving God or we love them for their sake? Right. I mean, I love this building, but we could worship God. We could, we were worshiping God in that van a couple months ago, weren't we? As a local body, we were a church on the move. We went, we went to, we we traveled together. I love this building, but for the purpose of worshiping God. Yeah. We should even love our own bodies, but for the worship of love, for the purpose of loving God, worshiping God. The things that we love, do we love them for the purpose of loving God? The Jews, listen to this, moving forward several hundred years, the Jews loved the law. Romans chapter 9. Excuse me, Romans chapter 10. the, The Jews loved the law. But they loved the law to worship their own righteousness. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, how did they do that? The law. The law that God gave and handed to Moses. They took that thing, and rather than worshiping God and seeing, you know, we're going through Exodus. At every single point, I find myself guilty under the law. At every single point, I see my need of Christ. Under the law, they found themselves, they became worshipers of themselves under the law. And for all intents and purposes, they were burning incense under the law. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Rather than being turned to God by the law, they turn to themselves in their own self-righteousness. The Jews, we spoke of the temple, 2 Chronicles. The Jews loved the temple because it was their place. They didn't see it as The place God would hear them and forgive, they saw as a place where they had power and authority. John chapter eight. Tell you this is going to get this is very provoking. Provoking to me. John chapter eight. John chapter eight verses thirty-one through thirty-three. John chapter eight. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Wait, what? Never in bondage to any man? Forgetting you're getting uh, Egypt, the Philistines, you never read the book of Judges? Didn't you don't see the Roman presence on both side in every in every direction? Bondage to no man. Turn over a couple pages to John chapter eleven. After Lazarus was raised from the dead, which should have pointed them straight to Jesus Christ. They wanted to kill him in chapter twelve. Jesus and that uh, Lazarus, that is, in John chapter eleven verses forty-seven through fifty. 47 through 50. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees, a council, and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, and all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Rather than looking to Jesus Christ, who just raised a man from the dead, They were more concerned with looking at those elements that God had given the fathers to worship God by. They were concerned with their place. Verse 49, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. I thought they were doing good things. That's the Jews. How does this apply to us? How can, how can we go through with, with the, the filter of the word of God and see potential for Nehushtan, to see potential for our eyes slightly to be taken off Jesus Christ and thus making an idol for ourselves? One way of doing it is, I would suppose, through doctrine or teaching. Um, I'm a doctrine guy. I really am. I, I, I believe that every single word in the Word of God is important. I really do. I feel that they're so important that I preach them line by line, and you're going to experience this afternoon. I'm going to be. We're going to be discussing something that I really don't want to talk about. I really don't want to talk about it, but we're going to do it anyway. Why? Because it's right there in the Word of God. For two reasons: I don't want hobby horses. I don't. I don't want to just talk about one thing all the time. But also, don't want to leave anything else undone. I don't. I don't want to neglect the jots and the tittles of the Word of God. But you know what? We can be so much doctrine that we cease to practice. True spirituality from the word of God. And what do I mean? Living unto Christ. We can can say, yes, I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do that just like the Jews did and forget that our living is to be spiritual living. Look at at Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. We can hammer away so heavily, and when I say doctrine, I mean teaching, We can can hammer away at so much teaching that we forget what its outcome ought to be. Chapter 8, verse 1, Romans. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that, that, excuse me, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Thank God that the focal point of all existence is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the focal point. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So what's that walk talking about? It's talking about doctrine. Teachings of the word of God concerning Christ and how the people of God are to live. Again, no condemnation in Jesus Christ. It's not no condemnation to those who walk. It's no condemnation no condemnation to those who are in Christ, right? If I'm left to my walk, I will be condemned. If I'm in Christ, I won't be, and I will walk after him. But what comes first? Being in Christ comes first. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Biblical teaching and sound doctrine is a spiritual issue. It's, it's not a technical issue. Although it will be performed in a practical way, it's a spiritual issue. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Looking unto Jesus, in Jesus Christ, through sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching, by the Spirit of God, we will not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'm a doctrine guy. I really am. And if you didn't know that, well, you know that. I'm a doctrine guy, but we can... We can be so doctrinally minded that we cease to be spiritual. And you know what we have when we have a whole bunch of doctrine, but we're not spiritually motivated in these things in Christ? We've got a brazen serpent. We've got a brazen serpent. That's what was, and we're going to look at this and toward the end of the year. That's what was happening to the church of Ephesus. They had lost their first love. Yeah, they had their works, but they had lost their first love. Their eyes were off of Christ and Him crucified and risen again. And now they're going through the motions. Sound doctrinally, going through the motions. That's one possibility of us. So be careful. Be careful in everything that we do, that we be Christ-centered and Christ-motivated in all those things that we do and all those things that we teach and all those things in everything. What would be another possibility of Nahushtan? I'm a church guy. There can be a point, though, that we start worshiping the church, right? When we read in, in Matthew, the Ma- in Matthew chapter 28, the function of the local church is to what? Testify of Jesus Christ, Right? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, the local church, that all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So you see generational movement here And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. This passage is so often preached for church perpetuity. And I I believe that this is a promise that the Lord's assembly, by chain link succession, authority from assembly to assembly, like beget like, would continue until the coming of the Lord. I believe that. The function of the church is to promote Christ and his gospel. To promote whatsoever things he has commanded. Not to promote the church. That's right. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter told them to repent and believe the gospel, they that gladly received the word were baptized. He didn't have to go wrangle them. He didn't have to go lasso them. But he also didn't stand there making a case for the church without the case for Jesus Christ. There's a point, and I want you to hear this because I am a church guy. There's a point that if you degrade the Lord's assembly, you also degrade the Lord's veracity. Raise your hand if you don't know what the word veracity means. Truth telling. Can God, can, can God and did Jesus Christ tell the truth? Because if you start doubting the Lord's assembly in its present condition, you also start doubting God himself. If the Lord can't keep his promise, he also can't keep my soul. But even our thoughts on the church should be Godward. Okay? What do you say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Ye shall testify of me. Our thoughts on the church should be Godward. This isn't my church. You know, sometimes we get the, the idea that we can, you know... Oh, Brother So-and-So's Church and Brother So-and-So's Church or whatever. This is the Lord's assembly. Handle with care. Nahushtan. I know a lot of Sovereign Grace, Landmark, Missionary, Baptists that burn incense at the idea of Landmarkism. What do you mean by that? Well, yes, they remember that the Lord established his assembly and they remember the gospel by which they were saved, but they'll go days and weeks and months and years without telling a single person about it. They're sad, They're so satisfied with being right because they're, quote, the right church and, quote, have the right, uh, the right ideas on different things. But they'll set it over here as an idol and worship those, those teachings rather than worshiping God Almighty. Jesus Christ himself asked in Luke chapter 6, Why call you me Lord and do not the things I say? If we are to embrace the sovereignty of God and salvation, and we're to embrace the, the, the wonders of God in His maintaining his, his church through succession, It would be sin against God and idolatry to disobey him in not broadcasting the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the the commission of the church to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If we fail in these things or set these things aside or put them in their own other box, then we are guilty of Nahushtan, of looking at the finger pointing to the moon. What well, may be another example? And there are other there's examples that that maybe you're thinking of that I don't have down. Here's just a here's just a few big ones. I'm a KJV guy. I will not preach out of anything else. I won't. I believe that this is the best translation available. I really do when y'all when I when during the ordination service I sat right there and I was asking about translation that that was my answer and I'm'm I'm by God's grace I'll die with that answer. this is the best translation we have. Yes, but if I don't believe the use of the KJV pointing to Jesus Christ, then I also have an idol. There are people that are KJV people. They don't believe what the Bible says, (laughs) but they're KJV people. I also want to say this, that believing that the King James Bible is the best translation of God's word will not save you. The devils believe and tremble. They've seen God. They've seen God. They don't need a translation. They've seen him. Look in 2 Timothy, if you would, please. It's it would be so easy. It'd be so easy. I mean, I I, I love I love my Bible. It it it's got writings in it and notes, and there's certain things that are written in there from a long time ago, and I can remember the message it was preached and where I was sitting and all kinds of stuff. It's special to me. But I could go down here to Goodwill and pick up one for a dollar and have the same. The one that once we pass out, I tell people this is the word of God unto salvation. Look at this, Second Timothy, chapter three. Yes, I, I, I if I hold the King James and that's what I'll preach out of, but I neglect these other items, then I have Nehushtan on my hands. I I have an idol. Second, Second Timothy chapter three verse fourteen. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. The Word of God, pointing to Jesus Christ, is a book of learning and assurance. Cover to cover, it's a book of learning and assurance for sinners. And the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And from a child that has known the holy scriptures, the word of God is holy and sacred. How so? It points souls to Jesus Christ unto salvation. When when the Lord Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he referenced number 21. He was referencing the word of God. Holy and sacred. Not just a book to get what I want or to find a loophole in living. Holy. The holy scriptures. Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Boom, right there a book of salvation if i if i'm a, if i have the king james bible and i don't and i don't see this as a book of salvation in christ but as a as a book where i can better myself and and maybe learn some uh, tips on economics and, and and how to how to get a promotion at a job whatever then i've missed it all scripture is given by inspiration of God. These other translations, they leave out passages. Yep. They're devilish. Yep. And you got to study the King James. I'm not saying it's inspired. I don't believe the King James is inspired. Nope. I believe God used men to translate it, and they did a really good job. There's a letter in front of the King James Bible that tells you all the Basically, these writers are saying we struggled. Study it. Yeah. You can't translate one to one. It's in, it's in, it, it, you, There's no perfect translation. This is the best we have. Yeah. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's how you should approach the Bible. Not the Book of Mormon and not whatever else. It's profitable, it's good, it's helpful, it's advantageous for doctrine. Well, wait a second. I thought you said that doctrine can become nehushtan. It can if your eyes are on the wrong place. It's profitable for teaching. Teaching what? Things of Christ. How to trust him. Who he is. Who you are. How to live before him. It's profitable for reproof. For conviction or for testing, some people they love the King James but only the parts that don't reprove them. Well, where's that? Go back refer back to all scripture. See it's not all about me it's not all about you but some things are about us and that reproof comes straight to the heart it really does. it will it will instruct. If I say, yes, I'm a King James Bible guy but I never want any reproof or never want any instruction, I've gotten a hoosh tan. I'm doing things my own way. I'm burning incense to an idea rather than focusing on Christ. It's profitable for correction, for improvement of life and character, for straightening things out, which means I'm crooked and need to be straightened out. It means that I need to be improved upon I need to grow. It's profitable for instruction, training in righteousness to be as one ought to be, as determined by God, not by me, not by you, by God. That the man of God or person of God that the child of God may be perfect, fitted or complete. That is, get, get being given the aptitude, aptitude intended and appropriate for your use, that you'd be the well fitted tool in the workman's hand. Thoroughly furnished. Complete. You ever try to do a job and, and you, you you know and you you think yeah that's good enough. How when when will the throughly furnishing of the child of God be complete? When we are conformed to the image of the Son of God, Romans chapter 8. So if I'm a King James guy, th- these things have to be my expectation. Right. So if I'm if I'm a King James guy and I am, and I believe I'm supposed to be thoroughly finished under all good works. That means in, in the industry and business of my life, how I live, this word is applicable. Then that's right. But if I think, oh, yes, I'm going to go hear the word of God, but only the pleasant parts and how much he loves me and how much he has a wonderful plan for my life. Then I have taken my eyes of what Scripture's intent is. I've taken my eyes off of what the Word of God is here for. I've created a version of Nehushtan in my life. Clarification. I use the, again, I use the King James, won't use anything else. I have different tools and different things, but I preach out the King James Bible. King James Bible will not save, it cannot save. I do believe it is a preservation of God's word but it's not like the god was vo- the the world was void before 1611 of the word of God. That's right. Mark chapter 13 the Lord Jesus Christ says heaven and earth shall pass away but my word shall not pass away. Mark 13:31. I believe King James Bible in the English language. Did you know it's not translated in all languages? Did you know that King James isn't translated in all languages? So what are you going to do? God has preserved his word. I don't know what the translations are for different languages, but I know God has preserved his word. What's another way? See, they had taken something that was to point them to Christ, and they had made an idol of that thing and burnt incense to that thing. They were looking at the finger pointing to the moon. I'm a biblical hero guy. At the outset, I said, what a refreshment it is for he- to see a man of God, trust in the Lord, doing what he says. It says in verse five, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Verse seven, and the Lord was with him. How refreshing it is to see a child of God. You, you-, you can read through scripture and say, oh, what? you know, how-, how great it is that there was a young man, David, that stood up against that giant. The camp wouldn't, but he did. It's so easy. For us to take our eyes, even take our eyes off the Lord and look at his, the, the, the works of his hands. Yeah. I like to read how the Lord used imperfect people to accomplish his purpose. I like to hear that. I like to hear a story. And, and even, you know, last week when I, when I told y'all that there was a salvation account over in Romania. And, and I showed y'all a, a picture, at least some of y'all picture of brother Raul and the different people. You like to see what God's people are doing, but don't look at God's people. Look to God and how he's moving through his people. We're learning that through the book of Acts, aren't we? Peter said, hey, it wasn't by our power God did this. Let me, let me tell you about it. When my admiration turns from the sinless to the sinful I have an idol. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for Repentance. And think not to yourself think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our Father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. They had forgotten that Abraham was a devil worshiper from Mesopotamia, that he was a liar, that he was an adulterer. They had forgotten what manner of sinner that Abraham was, and that how God called him out. And saved him by his wonderful grace. But no, they had made an idol out of that bloodline of Abraham, hadn't they? Yep. Simply sinners saved by God's amazing grace. If anybody were, and I don't know if anyone does, but if anyone were to admire me, they should admire the work of God that he has had upon me. That's what Paul said. In Romans chapter 7, what I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do it anyways. And if there's any good in me, it's God that does it through me. My admiration should be on God's amazing grace saving sinners. My admiration should be by God giving a practical and living faith to sinners that they would trust Him and follow Him that amazing chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith so-and-so did such and such, it'd be easy to go through there and admire those people. If we were to forget the definition of what faith is and who grants it. This happens in modern times also, you know that? It's easy for us to look in the Word of God and make heroes out of these people and admire them rather than admiring the work of God in them. I don't necessarily like out pointing out flaws, but I do understand that these people are flawed written in the Word of God. Gideon, think about him. Can you imagine having an argument with the Lord after he's directly told you to do something? You're going to stand there and argue and make up conditions of well, you show me this way and I'll, I'll, I'll do it and do it this way. I mean, what, what a sinner, and we're sinners too. But it also happens in modern times. People start admiring a teacher or a pastor and they follow them. That's very dangerous. It is. There are some very charismatic people out there that, oh, they can... They can speak well, and they've got all the right mannerisms and the right cadence of speech. They can really make hearts feel welcome. And they might even stand in a three-piece suit and might even preach out of the King James Bible. Maybe. But if they divert attention away from Jesus Christ and call attention to themselves, there's a danger here. What about the hearts of people? How do we know if people have done that? Well, guess what? When admiration for the pastor is gone, what does the follower do? If you're here because of me, what happens when I mess up? If you're, ha- if you're here because of me, what happens not if I fall, when I fall? Does your admiration of God, is it deterred? Are you drawn out into the world? You see, if you believe something because I tell you to believe something, when you lose your admiration of me, you will also change your position on those items. Hezekiah. Oh, he, he's got a wonderful, wonderful testimony in the word of God. He also opened up the house and showed him everything he had. He's also a sinner. You know, if you follow the Lord, when I go astray, by God's grace, you'll handle it appropriately and call someone. Let me back up. You'll handle it appropriately and you'll come visit me and say these things need to be addressed. And if they are fail to be addressed, then you'll handle it appropriately as the Lord's assembly. If people follow the Lord, they will walk by faith in light as he is light. And they, as much as I'm a, a biblical hero guy, Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible. He is the one to be admired. He is the one to be testified on. So going back in your mind, Nehushtan, that brazen serpent—it was—it was a—it was, was a figure given that they would look unto it and live. Jesus Christ said this was a picture of what He would do to look unto Him and live. Children of God, are there godly things that we have slightly averted our eyes from the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have turned? them into idols. I gave you a a few possible suspects. A few potentials. I've seen this. Teaching, the church, KJV, even heroes of faith. These are things that I have seen. These are things that I have heard. These are actual things. Now, we don't have a brazen serpent in here, but we, have thing, we could have things like unto it. It, it. If you are guiltless in all these measures, thank God. Look unto Jesus Christ. Protect your heart for vanity and pride. It, it, it leads to a fall, doesn't it? When the tools and pictures and responsibilities and items and even leaders that God has given become the focal point of worship rather than pointing our souls to God Almighty and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have Nehushtan. What's some other things? The songs that we sing, you know? If we're so stuck on the songs that we sing that we can't change them, And we do at times. We write some things in, change some words. But if we're so stuck on those songs because that was grandma's favorite song, well, grandma's favorite song was an Armenian song. We gotta gotta change it or cut it out. If we can't have that kind of objectivity through the word of God looking unto Christ, then we have Nahushtan. And you know what? We'll set it up right next to all our other idols that point us straight to ourselves too. And all things look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. do not set up. It's easy to say don't set up high places and images and, and groves, but don't worship the creature more than the Creator. Remember that from Romans chapter one? They worship the creature more than the creator. They worshiped the snake rather than the one who gave them that gave, gave them command by which they could live. sinner you worship yourself you've made yourself an idol a false representation of deity you might think that in your religious observances you see the high place and the images and the idol and the groves and all that stuff those were all religious things you might think in all your religion that because you go to church and because you hear a certain preacher and because you you look after a word of the uh, certain bible and, and 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 different things you might think that you're okay Nehushtan was sin. It was evil. It was looking literally in every direction except the God of salvation. Hezekiah was right, right to break it. Am I saying that you should burn your KJV and you know and and do, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying put your eyes on Jesus Christ. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as those that were bitten, Christ said, as those that were bitten. Even everyone in John 3, verse 15, all that look upon the Son of God shall live. I encourage you. They couldn't look one way. You know, some people can look in different directions. Layla used to be able to until her uh, her surgery. You can't you can't you can't have your eye, your your mind, and you, no, one must be. Converted by God, looking unto Jesus Christ alone. In John 3, he spoke of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does bring the new birth. Does bring to knowledge that need, that you are bitten by sin, that you will die. That biting is an evidence that you have murmured and sinned against God and you will die for it. The only remedy unto life is beholding the Lord Jesus Christ risen up for your offenses as the fit substitute for the wrath of God. He died, was buried, and he rose again. Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.